Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah. This is Cog Dog Radio. This week, we're going to talk about um, some really common questions that I get following my worked up workshops as well as my worked up online class. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about sound sensitivity and why working through that tends to be so hard. And we're also going to address some odd uh, play behaviors that you might see in training. So to get started, I'm just going to mention that I just wrapped up my first online course with Fenzy Dog Sports Academy, which was called Worked Up, and it was all about assessing and managing arousal in sport dogs. I thought it was a huge success. The gold spots were fantastic, and I had a really great time. I'm gearing up to teach a couple new classes for Fenzy Dog Sports Academy. Registration is open for them right now, and the class starts in just a few days. I've got the whole picture, which is all about the four steps to behavioral wellness, which if you listen to the podcast, you've heard me talk about plenty. Um, and it's also just about training things that we can do to help our dogs just be more behaviorally well and more behaviorally prepared for the environments and the challenges that we um, ask them to face when we ask them to be competition dogs. Um, and then I'm also co-teaching jumping gymnastics with Dr. Leslie Ide, and we are really digging into comprehensive jump training. So I'm going to cover the training side and she's going to cover the conditioning and fitness side. And I'm really excited about that class. We've taught that course before on a different platform um, and it was very successful that way. And I'm really excited to bring it to the Fenzy Dog Sports Academy community. So I hope you guys will join us over there for those classes. So following Worked Up, I get a lot of basically this type of question. People say, my dog isn't worked up. My dog is worked down. <laughs> or they'll say, my dog stresses down. Um, or my dog shuts down in the ring. Or, you know, any variation on that theme. And they want to know what to do about it. And I have a couple of different things. One is to understand that a lot of the time, what you think of as shutting down or turning off or being under aroused is actually fear or anxiety. And if fear or anxiety are at play here, you're going to need to dig apart what is causing the dog to have those anxious or fearful um, emotions and really tackle that and really help the dog feel better. And whether that's a counter conditioning program or something else will depend on kind of what it is that you're going through, but it is something that you want to address. You don't want to just kind of plug along because it's not fair to have your dog experience those feelings in a competition environment. And if you aren't sure what's going on with your dog, that's where having a professional have a look at it is a good idea. I am toying with the idea of teaching a class for these dogs at Fenzy Dog Sports Academy, so stay tuned. I'll definitely talk about that on the podcast once some of the details get a little bit more figured out. Um, it's not going to be an easy course. It's definitely going to need to tackle a lot of different things from a lot of angles because usually these dogs are complex and the cases are complex, and so offering it in a class format is not an easy thing, but I have never been one to back down from a challenge and so I'm working on it right now and rest assured I will tell you all as soon as I know more about it. 
I got an email question specifically asking about dogs that are afraid of the sound of a clicker. So you guys know that I'm a clicker trainer. You know that I use a clicker in training um, a lot of the time. And this is actually not that uncommon. I've met several dogs. Um, I'm trying to think if there was one that wasn't a Border Collie, but a lot of them being Border Collies, who were really terrified of the sound of the clicker. And the first question is, you know, how do we go about desensitizing this? And my answer is you don't. The clicker is not an essential tool. The clicker is a helpful tool, um, but you don't need it. And it's sort of like, I would be petrified of jumping out of an airplane and there's no reason for me to jump out of an airplane in my life. So there's no reason for me to work on that fear. If you don't need something, don't work on it. Get Just cut it out of your dog's life. They don't need to have a clicker. Um, so understand that desensitization and counter conditioning is hard to do. It's hard for you, the trainer. It's also hard for the learner a lot of the time. So know that for me, going through that protocol with, with something that's not necessary is really asking too much of the trainer and the learner. Um, it's not something that I would do. Versus in the previous episode, we talked about working through fear of or discomfort of the car because being able to ride in the car contributes hugely to a dog's quality of life. The clicker in and of itself is just a tool that makes your job easier as a trainer. It by itself does not contribute to a dog's quality of life. The training that you do that follows the same principles, which you could do with any number of behavioral markers, um, even just words or other sounds, that's what it contributes to the quality of life is the training, not the clicker itself as a tool. So I would just toss it out and I would not expect my dog to deal with clickers either. So I would not take them to seminars where clickers were being in use and I wouldn't have them in training classes where clickers were being in use. I taught a seminar last summer where there was a dog that was terrified of the clicker and I just asked everybody to use a verbal marker instead. And you know what? Everybody complied and it was really fine and it made that dog feel so much safer to not have to deal with that. So I wouldn't worry about it. Um, this email also mentioned that the clicker is not this dog's only fear as far as noise is concerned, and that doesn't surprise me at all. Usually they're not just afraid of one sound um, out of the blue, and especially border collies tend to be really prone to being sound sensitive or even noise phobic, um, difference being one is a sensitivity and the other one is kind of a pathologic fear. Um, and so this dog was afraid of the teeter and a lot of other noises that um, it would have to deal with in its competition life. And so understand that working through fear of noise is not easy to do. And I speculate that one of the reasons is when you undergo a quality counter conditioning program, you're gonna involve desensitization. So counter conditioning is changing the dog's association. So right now the click means scary, yucky feelings. We could change the click to mean um, happy feelings of you know wanting to eat food because 
the click predicts food. That's putting it obviously very simply. But, you know, counter conditioning is saying the dog already has one feeling about something. We want to change that feeling by changing the paired association that is made. And then desensitization is just a gradual exposure to something, always at levels that are not fear or anxiety provoking. So we always want to keep the stimulus at a low enough level that is not actually causing the dog to have that fearful response. Those things always need to go together. I think what's so hard about counter conditioning and desensitization when it comes to noises is that number one, it can be really difficult for us to identify a low enough level of the noise because we may not even be able to hear it because our hearing, comparatively speaking to a dog, really sucks. <laughs> and so I'm not going to hear a teeter bang inside a building across, a, you know, a football field away, but my dog probably is. Um, and so that's where, if that's how far away it needs to be for my dog to feel safe, that's going to be impossible for me to do unless I've got somebody like on a walkie talkie who said that the bang just happened, feed the dog. Um, it can be really difficult for us to obtain or understand or be able to perceive low enough levels of this noise to be able to functionally desensitize. So I think that that's one of the big problems with it. Um, some of the other problems are that uh, we live in a really noisy world. And so we probably don't even know how often our dogs are being triggered by noises. And we're unable to always pair noises at certain decibels with reinforcement because... Um, or I'm sorry, with, with something appetitive or, you know, food or toys, because they're happening all the time. And another kind of cornerstone of quality um, desensitization and counter conditioning is that we are able to eliminate exposure to the stimulus um, or stimuli when we're not working on it. So that's almost impossible to do with noises. So this is why it can be really difficult. If your dog has a specific fear of a specific noise and they need to be helped through it for their quality of life, then you want to pair up with um, a veterinary behaviorist, a certified applied animal behaviorist, or somebody who is really well-versed in these principles and try to go forward. But know that it's certainly not an easy task that's going to be done, you know, quickly and right off, right out of the gate. So our last little um, piece that we're going to talk about is odd play-related behaviors that we might see in training. So ever since I started talking about uh, Prime in particular, I covered a dog named Prime several podcasts ago that I think, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you've probably heard. And I talked about how he would beat himself with a toy Um ringside or during agility or play and how I didn't feel that that was healthy um, as well as Jade the golden would not beat himself with a toy but would dig um, and shake a toy and maybe dig in water or dig in dirt or pull grass out so these kind of just 
um, compulsive behaviors that were difficult for the dog to stop doing and that were triggered by training um, or high arousal activity. And one of the email questions that I got is when I give, you know, the person said, when I give my dog a toy in training, he likes to, you know, throw it on the ground and roll on top of it. And is this definitely a sign that my dog's emotionally not okay or what's going on here? The dog doesn't do it outside of this context. So your first clue is that the dog doesn't do it outside of this context. But the second thing that you want to consider is, is the dog okay, generally speaking? So this is a person that took my worked up course. She's able to appropriately assess her dog's arousal and the dog, quote, passed arousal assessment, meaning the dog was fine. And then the dog still throws the ball down and rolls on top of it. And before and after the dog passes arousal testing, which means that the dog is fine. Um, the way that dogs like to play and engage and interact with toys can certainly vary. And it's okay for them to vary. So, but we just want to always be taking in information based on the way that our dogs play. So if you throw a ball for your dog and they don't want to bring it back to you, it's because they know that you're going to do something they don't like. And whether that's take the ball away, throw the ball again, tug on the ball, make them work to get the ball back. It could be any number of things that they don't like, but you're doing something that they don't like. If you're tugging with your dog and you let go and they run off with the tug rather than bring it back at you for more tug, they all they don't like the way that you're tugging. And I know people don't like to hear this. People don't like this information because it makes them feel crappy. They're like, but I like playing with my dog. Why does my dog like playing with me? But understand it's just information. It's not personal. It's information. And information is good. Information helps us to change and do better. So um, I want to see if I'm tugging with my dog and I let go of that tug, I want my dog to come straight back at me with the tug, asking me to play again. And if I am taking the toy and then asking my dog to do a task, like maybe weave pulls, and I get less and less of a return with the tug. So let's say, you know, I tug, I confiscate the toy, I send the dog for the pulls, I tug again, and I let go of the tug and my dog runs off and that's not normal for him, I would say that tells me more about the task we're doing, the weave poles, than the tug itself. So all of this is information for us and when we, when we start to pay attention to these things, we start to understand better about what to do about them. I would work really hard on um, having your dog want to bring that tug back to you. I'm not a huge fan of, you know, tying a leash on the tug is something that I learned a long time ago that I did with Iggy so that the dog couldn't run away with the tug. Um, I'm not a huge fan of always outing the tug straight to your hands. I really like letting them, quote, win the tug most of the time. Um, I like adjusting my play style until I see the dog act the way that I want. So as opposed to forcing my dog into the play style that I want, I want to adjust myself until I see the play that I like. I think a lot of the way that people play tug, especially in my sport of agility, is really um just inciting a lot of desperation in their dogs. Their dogs are desperate to hang on to it. 
Um, because as soon as they let go of it, you start slapping it on the ground or slapping it on their face or just, you know, being obnoxious in general. So you've literally utilized negative reinforcement to make your dog stay on that tug because you don't stop being obnoxious with the tug until they bite it. Um, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of resource guarding going on, resource guarding types of tendencies that are not being paid attention to because the dogs are fine. They're not biting. They're not attacking. They're not growling. They're, they just want desperately to possess the toy. And so people are choking their dog up on a collar and ripping the tug out of their mouth. It's, I mean, this sounds violent, you guys, but I could point to 10 different videos on YouTube right now of people doing it and they think it's totally fine because it's what everybody does in agility. I want the dog outing the toy of their own accord. I want the dog engaging in the play as opposed to this literally being a fight where the dog is hanging on to the end of the toy and you're hanging on to it and at some point you rip it out of their mouth. I would so much rather it look like a game played between two people um, or I'm sorry, two animals or two anything, two beings than this crazy, desperate, I must get my mouth on the tug and I must hold on to it as hard as possible and I must kill Thrash back and forth and as soon as you take it back, I must work as hard as I can to get it from you again. Um, it'd be really nice if it was actually a game and it actually looked like play. So if you're not sure um, about your dog's play style or you're not sure if the way that they're playing is good or healthy, just consider this. Does the dog actively continue to engage in the training if you give them the control? Meaning, you let go of the toy. When you give the dog the toy, you have put the cards in their hands. And you have said you have control over this game by giving them the toy. And if the dog then runs off with the toy, beats themselves with the toy, throws the toy on the ground and rolls on it, um, spits the toy out and moves on with his life. These are all the responses that I don't want to see. I want the dog bringing it back to me to get me to tug or throwing it at my feet saying, throw it again. And I build this into my puppy training. I would no longer be doing the same kind of toy play that I learned, um, eight years ago when Iggy was a puppy. Uh, I worked really, really hard on getting Kelso to play with toys and it was kind of an uphill battle for us. And so I was sure with little baby Iggy that I was going to follow, you know, what all these great agility people were saying to do and I was going to get great tugging out of her. And she is a good toy dog. She plays really well, but she spent a lot of time running away from me with the tug and just kind of doing a victory lap before finally bringing it back. And I now look back on that and understand that it's because I got her to constantly bite the toy with negative reinforcement and not because, not with positive reinforcement, not because she liked the play itself, but because she disliked what I did when the play stopped. So I see it all over the place now. And now I'm, I play with her completely differently from the way that I used to. And toys are much more usable for us than they were and I choose them less often too because I recognize that food is a reinforcer that for her has no baggage. Um, I never had to use negative reinforcement to get this dog to eat food because she was always starving to death. Um, and so food is a clean reinforcer for her. 
And then teaching Felix to play, I was under what I would consider much better guidance. Um, and I'm still under much better guidance. So teaching him to play, it was all about him choosing to interact with the toy and him choosing to interact with me with the toy. There was never any pushing on him or pushing him away or slapping the toy around. It was always just, hey, you want to play with this? You think you want to play with this? Oh, good. You want to play with this? Okay. And and then me backing off and letting him continue to come to me. And God, I'm glad that I had this help because he's an intense dog and his toy play tells me a lot of information that I don't think I would have if I didn't understand toy play the way that I do now. And I'm still not the expert and I'm learning all the time and I'm really lucky um, to have some really good resources for that. So if you're wondering about your dog's toy play, you know, you can shoot me an email, say, hey, this is what it looks like for me and maybe this is what I did about it. And this can be a continued topic for us, you guys, if you want me to keep talking about it. So shoot me those email questions. That's cogdogradio at gmail.com. And if I don't answer your email, know that I did read it. I do read them all. I don't have time to respond to them all. Um, and if I'm going to talk about it on the air, I'll usually shoot you a message telling you that. So I do appreciate all of your emails. Keep up all of your hard work. And again, I hope that you'll join me for my classes over at Fenzy Dog Sports Academy. And until then, happy training.